All right, well, if you would get your Bibles open um, to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, as we continue to, uh, to move along uh, through the book of Acts, as we see the church uh, get built up and, uh, and started. And um, back at the very beginning of Acts, the very first message that we looked at, Luke starts off his book. Luke is the author here. He starts off by showing us that God has a plan. Okay? God has a plan to establish his kingdom, his reign, uh, through the local church as the local church is built up and grows and then expands all across uh, the globe. And uh, that involves seeing people get saved, seeing people get discipled, and then get on mission as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed boldly and as the Holy Spirit supplies the power. Okay, that's in a nutshell what the plan is. Now, through uh, five chapters so far, uh, we've seen all of those things start to happen, haven't we? We've seen the church starting to grow and people are getting added to it. And we see the Holy Spirit moving in power and all these amazing things uh, happening. Uh, but at the same time, we've noticed this as well. There's been some serious pushback to all of that, hasn't there? Uh, big time. And of course, it's coming from those who oppose Jesus. They, they, they oppose the apostles. They oppose the gospel. They oppose all of these plans uh, taking place. And, it, it, and seemingly, uh, these people involved in this pushback will stop at nothing to overthrow the entire operation. That is becoming more clear and more clear that that is their uh, game plan. Okay, but what we're uh, going to see here this morning is I believe, a, a powerful reminder that God's plan to establish his kingdom will not, okay, cannot be overthrown. It can't. And I think it's such an important passage. I mean, they all are, right? But it's such an important passage for, for you and I, for all of us to believe. Okay, because there are times, if we're honest, where those beliefs that we have about that are, are tested they're, they're, they're pressed, okay, where there seems to be so much resistance against us, against the church, and, and in areas of our own, you know, personal walk with the Lord, uh, so much so that we can honestly, I think, be tempted to wonder, is God prevailing at all? Is he working? Is he, is he moving? Is he actually establishing his kingdom in my life and in our Church, okay, perhaps you have felt that way uh, even lately. Uh, I will confess and admit to you that I certainly have at times, uh, for sure. Uh, but let's just take a look at uh, this passage now and see what God has to say uh, about these things and find and draw some real encouragement for us as we think about this and go from here today. So this is picking it up partway through the story we started last week, uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 33, follow along. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, 
and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. But Lord, we, again, as we do every week, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the clarity that comes from it. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that can come from it, Lord. We thank you so much, God, for the fact that it can change our lives. Lord, as our beliefs are altered to lock into what you have declared and what you have said is true, Lord, we can be forever changed. And so, God, I pray that you would do that in your church today for those who are here, for those who are listening or watching online. God, I pray that you would show us that your kingdom can't be overthrown. It's never going to. No chance, no way you will build your church. God, encourage us in these things. Lord, I really pray that, Lord, today. Encourage anybody who might be struggling in this in some manner. God, would you do it? We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, one of the reasons that I think you and I tend to struggle or have a hard time truly believing and, and having genuine confidence that God's plans cannot fail okay, is because we see, we see our plans collapse all the time. Right? And because we see our plans and our desires kind of fall apart and stuff like that, I think we often think like, well, maybe God's plans are kind of like that. Can, can I really trust him? Right? And, and we, we wouldn't necessarily say that, but that I think is what's lurking in the, the bedrock of our hearts and our souls at times. Hey, let me give you a couple of examples here. Just this past Monday, uh, my son Wyatt and I planned on going and playing a round of golf. So we had this plan, like this, day, this, this dads and dude day, okay? We were going to get together and go out and play. Well, uh, we got chased off the course, didn't we, buddy, uh, on the first hole because of thunder and lightning. Okay, so our plans are shot and, and we're back home like eating ramen noodles, right? Like so much for that plan. Now that one isn't that much of a serious plan. Of course, it can get much more serious than that. Perhaps you planned on getting engaged, and in the plan and in the discussion of all of that, it somehow, in some way, uh, turned into a breakup. Okay, or you planned to buy a house or, or buy a car, but before you know it, you've been let go for, by the company. Or you have all kinds of exciting plans about the future that you can't wait to get to, only to have that very future called into question because of the doctor's diagnosis. Again, our plans, and they vary, they can, they can definitely be overthrown, can't they? They really can. But God's plan, okay, that God's plan for his church, God's, God's plan for his kingdom, never, never. Okay, even though sometimes with our very limited human vantage points, it can seem like it, right? It can seem like the whole thing is falling apart, which definitely brings us to our first thing here today. God's plans to establish his kingdom cannot be overthrown, though intense opposition might make it seem like it's crumbling. 
All right, so our verses today pick up the final part of the story that we began uh, last week, where the apostles, they had been arrested again. Okay, this is becoming a common theme, isn't it? They've been arrested, they were put in, in prison, and then you remember God sends the angel to, to open up the prison doors, and, and, and they just walk right out of there, and, and he tells them, go and continue to proclaim Christ in the temple. And so that's the very thing that they do the next day. And the Sanhedrin, the religious council, the Jewish leadership, they, they find out about this and they're wondering what's going on. And so they kind of carefully bring the, the apostles back and they, and they grill them and they, they challenge them on this and they tell them, hey, listen, like, do not proclaim Jesus. And the apostles' response to it is like, yeah, thanks for the tip on that, but uh, we're just going to continue to do that. They're very, they're very bold in it. They're like, they, they do not back down from sharing the gospel. Okay, which brings us now to our verse, verse 33. Take a look at, with me, at it with me again. It says, when they, this is the council, when they heard this, that the apostles were not going to back down, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Now, if you read that and you're like, that seems extreme, um, that's because it is. <laughs> that's, that's very extreme. That is not normal behavior, okay? But you see here that, that God is, is working powerfully to establish his, his kingdom, and yet at the same time, what's going with along with that is, is this opposition, and that opposition is just intensifying, isn't it? It's getting, again, more extreme. Okay, so for, for you and I, we have to realize this as we think about our own lives, that, that these two things very much uh, go hand in hand. Okay, because as believers, we really have to learn to identify and then reject the, the thinking and that false belief that opposition to God's work means that his work or his plans uh, must be crumbling. Okay? It must be falling apart because that's, that's just simply not true. Okay? We've got to reject that. Okay? Remember, the, the Christian life, the, the spiritual life, it is, it is a war. Okay? It is a, a battle. Okay? God is at work but so are the forces of Satan. Okay, Satan hates what's happening. He, he, he's fighting against all of that. Okay, we know that our flesh, that, that part that is yet to be you know, fully sanctified, our flesh is fighting against what God wants in, in our own lives, right? Our flesh fights that. The world, I mean, the world's values are, are completely and directly opposed to, to what God is going for. We have to understand that. And so when you and I, when we pray for God to do something, when we ask him to move in power or, or when we commit our lives to, to him in the service of, of Jesus and the church, listen, we've, we've got to learn to just expect, to adjust our expectations, to understand that opposition is just going to happen. It, it's going to be part of the program. And that's exactly what's happening here in these verses. Okay, this very influential and very powerful group of, of Jewish leaders. I mean, these guys were tied into the politicians. These guys, these guys had sway, okay? They, that, this, this group, the Sanhedrin, they're essentially channeling their inner death squad at this point. And they're like, we're, we're coming after them, which is, of course, what they did when Jesus stood up to them, right? And, and so now they, they've got their, their, their sights set on, on the church. They've got their sights set on these apostles specifically, which again, from a, from a human standpoint, imagine just being one of the disciples here in this as all these exciting things are happening. From a certain angle, this appeared to be quite bleak for them. They would have been thinking, man, they, these guys, this council, they, they've done this before. They, they killed Jesus and, and now they're, they're coming after us. 
But again, we know that even in this opposition and how bad that it got for them at times, it was all in line with God's plan to, uh, to further establish his kingdom. And so, again, it's crucial for you and I to, to see these things and, and see our own experiences of, of opposition through God's eyes, according to the scriptures, and, and really choose to believe it, right? Believe that, that God is actually working, even when, you know, with our human understanding, it seems like everything is kind of crumbling and falling apart all around us, or when we can't see the, the good things that God is doing because it's more behind the scenes, Listen, we've got to understand, God cannot fail. He cannot, he will not. Now, interestingly enough, it's actually someone on this very council who seems to have at least some recognition of this. Take a look at verse 34. It says, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, okay, who's this guy? Well, history tells us that, that Gamaliel, he was the most noteworthy uh, rabbi of the Pharisees uh, during this Day. He was actually the same guy that, that taught the Apostle Paul. You remember him? We're going to see lots of him in the book of Acts as we, as we go. He taught Paul in the tradition of the Pharisees. Okay, So Gamaliel, it says, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. So he's this highly respected guy. It says that he stood up and gave orders to put the, the men, the apostles, outside for a little while. And this is so that the, the council could, could, could talk together privately, okay? Verse 35, this is what he says to them. He says, men of Israel, take care or be careful what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thetis, not sure if I'm getting that pronunciation right, but Thetis rose up, and Thetis is a guy we don't really know anything about in history, okay, but he rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Verse 37, it says, After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. Now, the, the Jewish historian uh, Josephus actually did write about this, this Judas. It's not Iscariot. That's the Judas that we are most familiar with. But, but this other Judas, it was a common name, uh, he was known to have led this, this tax revolt during the census that happened in A.D. Uh, six. Okay, so he was a known guy at the time. He's known now. Okay, and he says, if you if you keep going in verse thirty-seven, he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Okay, so so Gamaliel, he's giving us two examples here uh, of these leader type guys who who had a strong voice and had a strong opinion and and, and did some things to, to to garner some followership and and they created a ruckus of 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 differing types, but. But their movements, their plans, ultimately were frustrated and, and came to nothing. They, they, they fell flat. They keep going. Verse 38, Gamaliel says, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Okay, so you see what he's saying here? He's like, guys, don't get too worked up about these disciples at this point. Okay, we've seen this song and dance before. We've seen guys like this rise up. We've, we've seen a lot of, you know, excitement and passion only for the whole thing to completely fall apart. He's like, if, if this is what we think it is, a bunch of workmen twisting the law and falsely claiming that, that this Jesus guy is the Messiah, then, then the whole thing will eventually just fall apart like these other two guys I just mentioned. It's going to fall apart on its own, so be careful what you do here. 
That's the first part of Gamaliel's uh, advice, which if you think about it, it's actually incredibly ironic, considering that it's, the, it's him, it's the Jews, it's the, it's the Sanhedrin whose plan is actually the undertaking of man. Hey, theirs is the plan that's actually crumbling and falling apart. Hey, they have no hope of, of overthrowing what God plans to establish. Hey, and though they're on the wrong side of this, Gamaliel, he, he does seem to have or you know, realize that, that God's plans are unstoppable. He, he, he gets that part of it. And he seems to kind of leave the door open, maybe just a crack, right, for, you know, for the possibility that maybe God is in some ways working through these apostles. You know, verse 39, he continues, he says, but if it is of God, here's where we see it, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Okay, so you hear all that, and you're like, where, where does Gamaliel stand exactly? Isn't this guy a, like a Pharisee? And like, where, where, where is he? Well, again, at the end of the day, we don't totally know where his heart was at. We, we, we're not exactly uh, told here. Most people think that, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a hardcore Pharisee, and, which, which means that he was opposed to Christianity in, in, in general, and, and he was sharing these things to actually protect his own interests, self-interest, and the interests of the council. Because if they, if they were to go you know, and, and just rage hardcore and go kill these apostles and these disciples, then it would absolutely blow any sway that they had with the people. Because the people so appreciated the apostles and what God was doing to them. So there is likely some self-protection that's going on here. But again, maybe he is leaving some room for the slight chance that the apostles were right and, and that God was at work through them. Okay, but in the end here, it says there, if you continue, that they took his advice. Verse 40 now, and when they called in the apostles, they, they beat them and, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. All right, so Gamaliel succeeds in stopping them from flying off the handle and killing them, but that's not before giving them a beating. And then, as we know, fruitlessly trying to dissuade them from speaking about Jesus. Okay, now, as, as you kind of think about this and you absorb it and you take it all in, two main, I think, takeaways that, that I think would be good for you to chew on this week. Okay, first of all, just in line with what we've been saying already, just that the encouragement and, and the reminder that just because things might appear as though God's plans are crumbling, that his kingdom itself is being overthrown, uh, that's just simply never the case. Just be encouraged by that. What you see and what you feel emotionally and what you're experiencing it may not actually be reality. In fact, it's not reality if you believe that the kingdom itself is falling apart and God's plans are failing. I mean, I was just talking to somebody in our church um, somewhat recently who's experiencing an awful lot of opposition just for simply believing what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And so-called Christian friends bailing on their faith and, and accusing them of all kinds of things and losing family relationships and, and all kinds of difficulty that they're experiencing. Maybe you're experiencing some of that opposition as well. So encouraging to chat with these folks, though, and, and just hear them say, but at the same time, as hard as this has been, it's just amazing what God is doing and the encouragement that we, that we feel in this, right? And so they're sensing, yeah, it's hard and there's opposition, but but the Lord's kingdom is being established. Our hearts are being transformed and we're being used in different ways. I mean, how amazing is that? And kind of another, maybe kind of different angle to look at this is just the whole COVID pandemic. 
I think it's very easy to look at that and the fact that, you know, we were online for X you know, number of months and, and now there's all these, you know, restrictions and some of them kind of annoying that we have to kind of put into place in order to be able to meet in person and, and all of that. that. That can, from a certain angle, make it look like the church is falling apart. I mean, my hand is up. How many of us felt like disconnected from the whole operation over the last six months or so? Absolutely. And, you can have, and it starts to creep in like, oh, no, is, is the whole thing failing? I mean, I was just recently uh, hearing that George Barna, if you've heard of him, uh, he's part of the Barna group, and they do different stats on trends that are happening in, in evangelical circles. And he did a massive um, questionnaire to uh, believers and churches and pastors and all of that, and basically found out that uh, what was going on in the church during the season of, of, of being online as, as we are. And I think his numbers kind of, for me, helped quantify what I was already sensing to be the case. He said about a third of your church, okay, a third of your church is, is, is they're with you, right? They're, they're in, they're, they're tracking online, they're coming when they can in person as, as they're able to, they're giving, they're doing all of that, and, and they are, they're, 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 they're there, they're, they're locked in. That's a third of your church, and another third of your church, he said, uh, based on people's responses to this poll that he did, um, are, are now kind of church shopping, essentially, and, and watching other sermons from other pastors and other churches, and they're not tracking with, with, with what's going on in their own local church. That's a whole third of your church that's doing that. They're pretty unplugged. And then, and then the remaining third of your church are just completely disconnected completely from everything. They're not reading emails. They're not watching sermons. They're not plugging in with the kids' ministry, they're, but they're not doing that anywhere else either. They're just kind of in the wind somewhere, right? And all of these people polled were, were people who, who professed Jesus Christ and I belong to and love, you know, my local church. And so you, you think about, you know, some of these stats here, and again, from, from a human standpoint, you're thinking, man, this, the church is getting decimated, right? And, and, and this is a problem, and I, th- and I believe wholeheartedly, I've said this to some, and I'll keep saying it, I think the Lord is using this time to, to stir up his church. I, I think the Lord is using this to test his people. I think he, he's using this time to see who are the pretenders and, and who are all in. And personally, I think that is, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I think that's a great thing. I think so much of North American Christianity makes me want to gag so much of it is just, I'm going to show up and, and kind of be there and look the part, but for the most part, honestly, if you start to peel back the layers, I'm, I'm not really in at all. And so when we're tested in the ways that this pandemic has tested us, some are just like, I'm, I'm out. I think that that's good. It saddens me. Don't get me wrong. At times, it's even frustrating. But it's a good thing because the Lord is, is working He's he's working in the lives of of his elect. He's working in the lives of those who know and love Jesus Christ, and he's refining us, and he's continuing to build his kingdom, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it. Do we believe that? Let's find encouragement, and let's remind ourselves of these things this week. Okay, so I said two main takeaways. That's the first one. Here's the second one, and this is, again, coming from a completely different angle here. But I think the second thing for us to consider is that maybe the intense 
opposition that you're experiencing is actually from the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Perhaps the resistance that, 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 that you're facing is because, you know, we actually fall more into the Sanhedrin's way of thinking in certain ways. Do you think that could be true of yourself? Where, where our undertaking and our whole approach is actually more of man than it is of the Lord, as Gamaliel puts it. Meaning that, that perhaps we're not truly committed to the Lord's plans. We're actually more committed to our own and our own glory and our own comforts and our own whatever. And the Lord, in his love and, and in his grace, and because he knows what's best, he's, he's actually working in your life to, to, to frustrate your plans. He's working to, to crumble your mini self-serving kingdom and your plans as his way to get after your heart, as his way to show you that, that he is Lord and you are not, that he is on the throne and you are not, that his ways are always best. Let's remember that, that his plans are what you and I have been called to. End of story. Right? That's what we're called to get on board with. That's what we're called to, to spend our lives carrying out. God's kingdom will be established one way or the other. You can count on that. It will certainly get messy at times. It will be hard. It will be draining. It will be discouraging. It will be frustrating, certainly all of it. But, but it will not be overthrown. God's kingdom will not be. Even if it's us, we're the opposition to all of that. He will never be stopped. Last thing here, second thing. God's plan to establish his kingdom cannot be overthrown. So let's rejoice in being worthy of suffering and keep proclaiming Christ. I just love how this is totally the mentality of the apostles here. Verse 41, take a look with me. It says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's the name of Jesus. And every day... Notice, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. Listen, as the Lord begins to take over more real estate in your heart and, and he becomes the object of your affection and, and, and he becomes the thing that you love most and you're drawn into him more and, and serving him and obeying him, Listen, don't be discouraged at all by the presence of, of, of opposition and, and suffering that comes as a result. Don't be discouraged by that. Notice how these, these believers, they're not discouraged. Okay, not, not at all. Their, their zeal hasn't shrunk even, even a touch. Right? In fact, you see it's the, exact, it's the exact opposite. It says that they actually rejoiced. Do you see that word? The rejoice, uh, word rejoice just means to be glad. Okay, they, were, they were glad to go through the experience of all of this because it was a sign to them that they were on the, on the right path. They, they, were, they were doing the right things. Jesus had already promised his disciples when he was still on earth with them that, that if his people hated him, they're, they're going to hate his followers too. That's all from John chapter 15. Okay, so in this case here, they're, they're able to, to legitimately rejoice not because they enjoyed pain, like, yeah, bring on more of that, that's fun, that's not what it is, but because they knew that they were living in line with God's will. And to them, there's like nothing sweeter than that. Have you been in that point where it's like, it's hard, but, 
but you know you're, 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 the Lord is allowing you by grace to be faithful and, and to follow him. And there's that sweetness and there's that, that joy in the midst of the difficulty. I mean, that's where, that's where these guys were, were, were living, which made them, of course, targets, okay, worthy of the kind of suffering, the kind of opposition that Christ himself faced. So, hey, listen, if you're suffering for faithful obedience to the Lord, realize that it's, that's actually a really good thing. Because it means that you're in the game. Right? It means that, that by God's grace, you're making a difference. God's kingdom is being established in you and, and through you, and that is incredible. Listen, as a pastor, I, I got to remind myself of those things all the time. You know, as, as I sense opposition, and, and at times there's, there's suffering, and sometimes it feels like it's all too much, and it's discouraging and disappointing and frustrating, and all of that, it gets messy. It's just easy to get down. i got to remind myself of that, but that's not just a pastor thing to remind themselves of. It's something all of us have to remember. I mean, what an exciting, what a, what a joyful thing to know that that the difficulty and the hardships and, and the challenges, that the suffering dishonor for the name, as it says here, can actually be viewed and experienced as this sweet, sweet thing. Christ was worthy of the suffering for serving the will of his Father. We're worthy of it when we serve that same will, that same plan, which, which motivates us then to continue to, to keep proclaiming him preaching and teaching that the Christ is Jesus, as it says, right? Just as these guys did, right? And, and, and that is what we as believers, that is what we as a church will continue to declare, no matter how hard this gets, that Jesus is the one who died for our sin, that he offers you and I forgiveness, right? He offers you and I this restored, perfected relationship with our creator, creator that we have done nothing but, but make a mess of. The Lord, the Lord restores it. He does it by his blood, and he gives us our salvation as a gift of grace. And I would just say, if you have not done that, do it today. Re -re Respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that he, he wants to save you from sin. He wants to forgive you for, for all of your sin, all of it that is ultimately against the God who made you. He wants you to be spared from the punishment. Why? Well, because he already took your punishment for himself on the cross when he was crucified. Would you believe that? Would you believe that that is for you? Would you just humbly admit your brokenness and trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? As I always say, if you have questions about that, hey, can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Just come find me. We'll talk. We'll pray. We'll, we'll work through it together. But listen, as a church, let's really work this week to, to encourage each other to just to keep standing, right? to keep proclaiming Jesus. If someone that you know here in our church is, is, is kind of down about these things and, and discouraged or, or, or maybe even complaining about the suffering that they're experiencing as a Christ follower, just remind them, again, this is simply what Christ has promised would happen. Remind them that, that he is with them in the midst of it. And again, all of it is actually a really good sign that, that they're being used by the Lord to establish his kingdom. Right? A kingdom that will never, ever, ever be overthrown.
Let's pray. God, I pray that truly we would be filled with joy, Lord, that we would rejoice in the reality of suffering, meaning that that you are at work, that you are building the kingdom. The opposition is all part of it. Father, I pray that supernaturally you would fill us, you would would strengthen our our weary bones, Lord, uh, steal our spines where we are fearful. Lord, get our, our eyes off of our own wants and our own desires and on to you and what you want and what you desire. God, continue to push us, your church, your followers forward, Father. We pray that that graciously you would show us how your kingdom is being built here. Lord, I pray that you would show us that you are sanctifying us and you are transforming us, Lord. Encourage us in these things as it's, again, very easy to get down. Lord, I pray that, that we would see that nothing will overthrow your plan. Nothing. Help us to believe that. Root this truth deep down in our hearts that we may live according to it. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.